Welcome to Kill Chain, a platform cybersecurity podcast presented by Fleet Defender. I'm Marcus Q, and I'm joined by Kendall Bricko. Hey, everybody. Kendall here. And Terry Reinert. Hey, what's up, everybody? So, guys, what are we talking about today? Yeah, we're going to be discussing some of the uh, lingo and buzzwords in the uh, cybersecurity realm that people might not be familiar with but have heard before. Nice. Awesome. Well, before we get into that, actually, let's uh, take a step back and look at some awesome Fleet Defender news that we've got going on. So um, I know that I believe we're a full member of Auto ISAC now. Is that right? We are a full member of Auto ISAC. Yes, we are. That's awesome. And just for everybody else, what does Auto ISAC mean? Auto ISAC is the Automotive Information Sharing and Analysis Center. So it is a group of all the OEMs and tier ones and other companies involved in the manufacture of automotive vehicles or components for automobiles. And um, we share information. So on cybersecurity incidents, so that way we can all learn from each other. And if somebody's seeing a certain threat, then we can all roll out defenses for that threat before they're hit with it. So it's just a, a really good information sharing. Uh, and again, analysis center, ISAC, um, to share that information. That's great. Cool. And I know, I believe we have some other pretty cool, interesting stuff going on with the uh, Department of Defense. Are we ready to talk about that yet, Terry? Or Not yet. Just okay. uh, I guess we could just say that we have interesting things brewing within the government public sector space that, um, you know, probably um, you'll start seeing some public information about that in the next couple of months. Well, I think we jump in here into our uh, look at different lingo and buzzwords around cybersecurity, starting with actually our podcast name. So, you know, talking about what is a kill chain, what is a cyber kill chain, because they are two different things. Is that right, Terry? Yeah. So do you mean uh, there's a lot of lingo and buzzwords in cybersecurity that acronyms that nobody uh, <laughs> knows what they mean? There are quite a few acronyms for sure. Yeah. So, um, well, I mean, yeah, so we can just dive right into kind of our name. So, you know, a kill chain is um, a series of steps that you have to um, achieve in order to uh, get to your goal. And so like from example, like with a cyber kill chain, for example, um, there's eight steps that um, attackers will use to get to their goal. And they kind of range in from one to eight is reconnaissance, intrusion, exploitation, privilege escalation, lateral movement, obfuscation, um, or also known as anti-forensics um, to kind of hide. Um, denial of service and and exfiltration. So that's just one. There's a couple of different words um, that are exchanged depending on which model you're looking at. But ultimately, it's just what the attacker is going to do. And the reason that's important to have that model in place is now from a defensive standpoint, we can actually watch for each stage occurring. And then we know what to do should we detect somebody doing it. So like, you know, reconnaissance would be somebody doing a uh, port sweep against your network or probing your network to kind of find, you know, what software you're running or what services are listening so they know how to attack you. And so we can actually see that through the firewall. And so each step just kind of provides that ability to see what's happening and then do something about it. And so those steps, you can have those steps because it, it doesn't necessarily matter how they're doing it. It's really just about, we know that this is the process that bad actors will take. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's that, yeah, exactly. And so then we can roll out defenses to watch for each one. So, you know, you'll have like, you know, port monitoring to see if somebody's pinging all your different ports at a firewall, for example, not to get too technical, but you know, that that'd be one example of that. 
Yeah, so this might not be a cyber term per se, but what is a platform? Because we are a platform cybersecurity company. This is a platform cybersecurity podcast. So people can think of a platform and think of many different things. So when we say platform, what does that pertain to? Because I'll tell you, I know when when we talk about platform, even in like our newsletters and things, sometimes it gets confused when you're talking about like, is it a platform like a computer? Is it a platform? A social you know? media platform? Right. Right. So I, I can see how that could be confusing. You know, for us, you know, to go like deep into the engineering speak, you know, we would call that an embedded system of systems. So think of it as a bunch of computers networked together to accomplish a goal, um, but they're embedded computers. So it's not like PCs on a normal information technology business enterprise network, um, but more of like a train, a plane, a car, a truck, a boat or ship, uh, spacecraft, you know, to where like, think of it like a, like a vehicle, for example, you've got a ton of ECUs, uh, sorry, another acronym, another good term. So ECU being an electronic control unit, um, you've got an electronic control unit or multiple ECUs that would be running everything about your engine. And then you'd have an infotainment unit. You'd have um, window controllers, uh, brake controllers, analog brake systems, um, you know, all these different ECUs that are all talking together over a network. Um, so they're all embedded systems and it's one system made up of multiple systems. So that's kind of a platform. That's how we use the term platform. Okay. So a lot of things would fall in that category then. And, yeah. and that's really kind of what we do, right? It's covering a lot of different areas of everything from port cranes to passenger vehicles. Right. And, and on the surface, you wouldn't think that a port crane has any similarity to a passenger vehicle. Like they seem very different. But at a certain layer of the technology, they're actually very, very similar. And that's where we sit. We sit low enough in the technology stack that all of these different things, all these different platforms look the same to us. And so our technology works across all of them. And is that where we start talking about CAN bus? That's one specific network that's used. So like in vehicles, CAN bus, uh, controller area network, CAN, C-A-N, controller area network, um, that is a networking protocol um, that's used for those devices to talk to each other. And there's a lot of government regulations out that specifically state that all onboard diagnostics have to go over CAN. And so the automotive market, I mean, even back in the 80s, started adopting CAN uh, as part of their, their networks. So you've got other protocols besides CAN. You know, you've got automotive Ethernet. Um, you've got FlexRay. Uh, that was one that was really big, especially in kind of higher-end European vehicles. Um, there's just a lot of different... Uh, protocols that can go into a vehicle, but CAN is kind of the standard right now. But it does have bandwidth conditions and, and concerns, and that's where like automotive Ethernets come out, which is just a um, a more deterministic Ethernet, um, so it can be used in control systems. And so, as we we talk about CAN and we talk about ECUs and all of these parts working together, uh, I know one thing since we work a lot with long haul tractor trailers is the appearance of the gateway. And so can you go into a little bit about what a gateway is within a platform? Yeah, it, it's um, you can equate a gateway to be kind of like a router in an enterprise network. It's not exactly a one-to-one you know, comparison, um, but it's probably the closest one. But that would be where you segment off ECUs into CAN bus networks um, according to their function. You know, So that way you don't have engine controls on the same network as, say, GPS location. Like 
two completely different functions don't make sense. So you have all these different networks within a vehicle, um, but there are times where you want certain ECUs to be able to talk to other ECUs or send messages to them. And so everything goes through a gateway. And that gateway is kind of the brains of the network that decides this message from ECU number one on bus one needs to be relayed on the bus three so this other ECU can see it. And so it'll be kind of the the router that'll move messages through the network. Um, so that way you can still do network segmentation, but still pass messages where needed. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it absolutely does. And is that where when we talk about, you know, attack vectors, another word, is if somebody, a bad actor, wants to get into a vehicle and control multiple networks, is that what they attack is actually the gateway? No, so not, not necessarily. Like if you own the gateway, then you kind of have the keys of the kingdom. Um, but let's say you exploit a vulnerability in the Bluetooth stack. And the Bluetooth happens to be in a telematics control unit on one of the CAN buses. Once you have your beachhead or your implant sitting on that ECU, you can affect everything on that bus because you're connected to that bus. But say that that is separate from your engine or your brakes or like your, the network where your engine or your brakes controllers are sitting. So you'd have to go through the gateway to get to the thing that you want. And that's the whole point of network segmentation, right? Like if an attacker gains access to some part of the network, they can't affect everything. And that was the way cars were architected, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Uh, now modern vehicles are all segmented through a gateway. So that way, should something be compromised, what the attacker can actually get is minimize to just what's on that specific bus. Okay. And, and bus being a can bus, can bus control, control area network, right. Or just a network, you know, multiple networks Mm -hmm. on the vehicle. And then speaking of attack vectors. So one way to kind of try to protect or find different uh, vulnerabilities or exploitations that uh, are possible in a vehicle, you can do pen testing or penetration testing on it. Uh, How exactly would that yeah, so there's a couple of different terms that are going to be involved there, and you kind of hit a few of them. Like one would be penetration testing, and another one is vulnerability um, vulnerability analysis or vulnerability research. Um, and depending on who you ask, you're going to get a different answer. Uh, and so I don't know exactly what the proper most academic definition of it would be. Um, how I kind of look at it is penetration testing is more looking for what we call an N-day. An N-day is a vulnerability that is known. So we know about it. We can actually build um, uh, signatures for it so that way we can go probe networks and see, you know, does that N-day exist uh, in this software stack? An N-day as in the letter N? Yeah, so it's N as in like um, N being a variable. So Mm -hmm. like I think the intent of N-day is like, if someone discovered a vulnerability 30 days ago and released it to the public 30 days ago, it's technically a 30 day and being the variable assigned the value gotcha. 30. Um, whereas on the contrary, if we've never seen it before, it's we it's referred to as a zero day. So like if you find a zero day exploit or someone talks about zero day, it means you found something that nobody else knows about yet or has not been released publicly yet. And, and a great title for a movie or book. Yeah. Zero day. Yeah. <laughs> zero days. Are they uh, more common in newer products, newer software when they first come out? I don't think it matters. Uh, honestly, um, I've seen systems where um, certain functions were not vulnerable and then they did a software patch and then 
that caused a vulnerability to appear in that specific function. So I, I don't know if you could say whether it's new, whether it's old. Now, if you have, I mean, that's one of the big um, things that people talk about as a, as a pro for open source is that it's been tested a lot and the source code is open. So it's had a lot of eyes on it. So they think that it would be more robust or more secure. Um, open source has its own problems. Um, but yes, yeah, so I don't know if you could say whether a product is new or old, whether it's secure or not, or has more or less vulnerabilities, um, because it really just depends. And those vulnerabilities, uh, and I know we've talked about this before, really come out of human error. Is that right? Because you're building something large and complex is not everybody can think to close every hole in the wall. Well, it's not even closing holes. It's um, multiple components built by different people. It's so complex. There's so much code or lines of code, as we would call it, um, that it's really hard to test. And, you know, we used to look at, um, you know, functional testing where it's like, if you send, you know, the value one, into this function, you should get a value five back, right? And so you like, it was very deterministic. We we knew exactly what it should do. It's functional testing. Um, but there's a lot of things where like, what if instead of sending the letter one through five, you send the number 1 million to it? Well, the specification says you should never get a 1 million, but it could be possible. So we have to test for non-functional, you know, tests. And so it gets really, really complex, but these systems are just built by so many people. There's so many lines of code, so many different components working together. I would be safe in saying it's impossible, honestly, impossible to make it 100% secure. There's a lot of initiatives out there to get to that. Like, for example, formal methods is a mathematical way of proving um, that something um is secure. So even like Space Force, for example, you know, I know they do a lot of formal methods. DARPA does a lot of formal methods, like research on it to see like, can we mathematically show that this code is invulnerable, not vulnerable, whichever way you want to go with it. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, it's an interesting problem. And kind of speaking on that human aspect of things, uh, I know we've talked about the word backdoor, like you see it in the news all the time like the looking for a backdoor into an iPhone or into XYZ software. And what is a backdoor into the software? Is it something, is it an exploit? Like you're saying, is it something left there intentionally? No, it's so, um, so I kind of think you hit it on the second part. Traditionally, when you say the word backdoor, um, that's something the programmer put there. Um, so that way they could access the system and do maintenance or, um, you know, help the customer with it. So like, and we're talking back in like early coding seventies, eighties, you know, like the term backdoor would be, I put it there on purpose. So that way I could access it and help you. Um, whereas like, I would say, um, you know, I would use the term rat or remote access terminal RAT. Um, that would be more of a, I found an exploit or a vulnerability in your system. I gained access to it and I installed my implant into it that I can now talk to. Uh, and then that gives me remote access to uh, your system without you knowing about it. Um, you know, there's other terms, like if you get into the DOD, they would call that like a command and control or a C2 network, right? Like if you have an implant, you need to talk to it. So just like everything else in the military, they give it an acronym, command and control C2, uh, and that would be your C2 channel, right? So you can still get in, talk to it, and then do whatever you want within that system. So along with like remote access and like rats and backdoors and all that, um, 
you can actually, you know, another attack vector is like a Trojan or a Trojan horse. And that's where you have um, your malware attached to something that uh, is legitimate. So imagine if you could attach some malicious code to, um, you know, some application that the person wants to run, like some video game or Microsoft Word or this or that, you know, um, there there are some protections with code signing and stuff against that. But um, but just say you could just hide you know, just like a Trojan horse, you know, you, you hide your malware inside of a legitimate application. So that way someone runs it. And then once they run it, then your malware actually activates and, and does something. And so that's kind of, um, you can look at Trojan horses. Um, you know, another term that you hear a lot is ransomware. Um, you can kind of look at Trojan horses, like a way that ransomware will sometimes get into a system where the Trojan horse is the link that you're sent. It's a malicious link and they're trying to get you to click on it. It goes to a website with malicious code on it that then exploits your system. Or they say, hey, I need you to open this file. And then the Trojan horse is like, it looks like a legitimate file, but it's really ransomware. So you run it not knowing it's bad. Yeah, I know uh, Microsoft Excel actually just cracked down on a bunch of add-ons. And I'm guessing it's something similar to that was that you would add an add on to do a specific function in Excel, but it exposed you to some piece of malware. Yeah, they can. Um, You know, macros in Microsoft Office was a really big one that a lot of malware spread through for a while. Um, I think it still does, but it's a lot more secure now, but still kind of exists. Uh, But yeah, add ons, anytime you add plugins, add ons, you know, like WordPress websites, for example. Um, you can just go get any third-party add-on uh, or plugin, is what they call them, and, and add it to your site. Well, WordPress itself, as a you know the the product and the company behind it, did not test that plugin. You're relying on some third-party vendor to have tested that. That third-party vendor could be just some dude in his basement writing a plugin. Like you don't know the the quality of that plugin. You don't know the legacy of that plugin, and so can you really trust it? You know, that's where you got to be very judicious in choosing what you run. And and they're kind of taking advantage of WordPress's legitimacy as a brand, right? Because it's a plugin for WordPress, so it must be okay. But really, it can be anything. Right. What could go wrong? Right. Yeah. So Trojans and uh, ransomware, that's all software-based coding, things like that. But something that's more human nature, if I uh, understand correctly, is social engineering, where it's more people doing the uh, quote-unquote attacks or trying to gain information from other people such as social engineering, dumpster diving, tailgating, shoulder surfing. Uh, Are those all social engineering, uh, Terry? Could be. Um, You know, it's interesting, like, when you look at the distinction between it, because there's kind of three things you attack as an attacker. You can't attack, right? You, You got hardware, you've got software, and then you have what we call wetware, Wetware being the humans. Um, And so social engineering is an attack against humans. That's where you're sending them an email that looks legitimate, trying to get them to click on a link or run a program. It's where you make a phone call and you pretend to be somebody else. Or there was actually a, a, a recent thing. This guy for like 20 years got into every baseball game for free. And all he did was carry a ladder. Really? And when he walked up to the maintenance gate with a ladder, the guard is just like, well, he's got a ladder. He's legitimate. We should let him somewhere. In. So he would get into every baseball game for the price of a cheap ladder down at Ace Hardware. Wow. And like that's Very a, nice. That's a social engineering attack. Like he's attacking the guard 
um, by pretending to be something he's not. And it's like, there's always this joke that's like, you can go anywhere and do anything if you put on a safety vest and carry a clipboard because everybody just assumes you're supposed to be there. No one asks the question whether it's like, why are you here and who are you? Like if you put a cone out in front of your car, well, clearly you're supposed to be there. You're a maintenance vehicle. You've got a cone. You're legit, you know? Yeah. Carrying a clipboard around always makes you look important. So people aren't going to bother you. They're not going to question anything you're doing. Well, Kendall, it's actually like the eighties are coming back. So it's a briefcase now. Like you got to like the briefcase with the little dial combinations. And if you handcuff it to you, totally legit. Oh, people would be probably scared if they see you handcuffed with a briefcase. <laughs> no, they just think you're important because like clearly you're carrying something important. So I can't wait to see Kendall going out in the weekend at the bars with a briefcase handcuffed to his wrist. Oh, if he comes <laughs> to work tomorrow with it, <laughs> just, that'd be great. <laughs> oh, that is great. Uh, so one thing I definitely wanted to cover um, while we're on this podcast is talking about some of the different cybersecurity certifications. Um you know, you hear some of these quite a bit, like CMMC, CISSP, CCSP, you know, all the different Cs. Uh, so just talking through some of what those mean and kind of what those certifications are and do for people. Right. Yeah. And so you actually hit two different things and there is a distinction between them. Like one is a, uh, a, a cybersecurity model. And one is a cybersecurity certification. Mm. Uh, and so like the difference is like a cybersecurity model would be something that you would comply with. So like CMMC is the cybersecurity maturity model certification. It's something that's coming out of the DOD um, and the government to say um, your systems and all your security controls and your networks and everything follow CMMC regulations that say we will now allow you to process classified information or what they call controlled unclassified information, things like that. Some of the other ones are like, um, uh, the big one is NIST cybersecurity framework or NIST CSF. A lot of companies have adopted that. And what that does is it just provides a model for like your, your cyber, uh, you know, your, your CISO, um, to, or sorry, your chief information security officer, Thank you. um, a model for them to follow to make sure all your processes, procedures, security controls, and everything is designed in a way to make you more secure. And so it just gives you a framework. There you go. It's a framework um, to kind of follow for building your systems. Whereas like CISSP, CSSP, GICSP, CEH, you know, those are all certifications. And each certification says that you know what you're talking about in a certain area. You've been through the training, you've passed the test, and so you know something. So like CEH, for example, is certified ethical hacker. It's very focused on like penetration testing, Kendall, kind of like what you talked about earlier. Um, and so like, if you've got your CEH, that's kind of an entry level, you know, you know, something about penetration testing or, um, offensive cybersecurity. And then, you know, different organizations have different bodies. So like you could even do like a comp TIA pen test plus that's a penetration testing certification. Um, CISSP has been like a gold standard in the information technology realm for a long time. And that's certified information system security professional. And that one's kind of a beast. Uh, it, it's the book is huge for CISSP. So they're just different certifications that again, just show you've at least been trained and you pass the test in a certain area. Right. And I think even that CISSP has some requirements about working in the industry as well. 
Yeah, like even like PMP on the program management side. So program management professional, I think you actually have to have like five or 10 years of professional experience as a program manager, even to just go take the test. Um, so, you know, they, they really want to make sure that that certification means something. Right. That's actually kind of nice that they're doing it that way. And so if you have somebody who's applying who has these certifications you can trust, they're legitimate, right? Like they can't even take the test without the experience. Yeah, right. Because there, there's people that I've seen that have all these certifications, but they have never worked in any of those fields that they have the certification for. So it means that you can study well, but it doesn't mean that you can practice it in the real world. Right. And, and things like that, you know, different people put different weights on certifications. Um, I mean, I even know like 15 years ago, there were some cyber certifications and no one took them serious uh, because it wasn't like everybody kind of knew that was like in the field that, oh, that's just someone like trying to get into it or whatever. Um, you know, the cybersecurity world has really matured over the last decade. Um, and now you actually see DOD regulations. I think it's like 8520. I can't remember the number, um, but they actually say like, if you're going to work within the government as an information assurance manager, level two, you have to have one of these five certifications. And so like, there's this whole matrix that shows like, if you're going to hold any of these specific jobs, this is what you have to do as part of a compliance, uh, you know, just to even qualify to work that position. So like things have really matured uh, over the last decade and, and we've got a really good solid body of, of certifications now. Yeah. I got to think that this is a huge help to, you know, the hiring market uh, for hiring managers, as well as people who are contractors, um, you know, just knowing that you can trust people based on the certifications because you trust the certifications. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, the other thing too, is even for people not in the industry or in like ancillary around the industry, like even just understanding the terms and being able to talk the talk, um, and know what people are saying. And so I don't know, maybe future podcasts, if anybody has acronyms or terms, they don't quite understand, maybe we can even do like a short, like segment in every episode that we do that they just send us in like, Hey, could you tell me what social engineering is? Or, Hey, can you tell me what, you know, an insider thread is. Um, and then we could just do a short segment. If people send in those words, we can just every episode, just continue to educate and let people know what are these things people are talking about. Yeah. It'd be really fun to do a call-in show at some point. Oh, that would be crazy. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what kind of call-ins we could get, but it, it might be fun. We'll have to have Kendall do a little screening first. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Do you really trust me doing the screenings? Uh, <laughs> well, if you do have any questions or, uh, you know, buzzwords that you would like, uh, us to go into on a future podcast, send those to us at hello at fleetdefender.com. Uh, or you can reach Kendall at his phone number at, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but, Information leak. Yeah. yeah. That's well, another term. <laughs> check us out at fleetdefender.com and schedule a demo today if you'd like to see how our technology can help you defend your platforms. So thank you, everybody, for joining. Thank you, Kendall. Thank you, Terry. We'll yes. see you all next time. Thank you. See you next week. 